Well, good morning. Uh, I'm not sure what you want from me today. It's like Tyler's back. Kids are cute. Jesus is worthy. What's left, you know? But we'll try to, we'll try to get something. Um, but yes, welcome to our third week of Advent. Um, if you're astute, you might say, third week? Isn't this supposed to be the second week of Advent? And then you might wonder, did these folks even Google when Advent was this year? And I'm going to let you keep wondering that for the rest of the year and just say, hey, we got four weeks of Advent, four full weeks of Advent at this church because we love it. So we are in week three of Antioch College Station's Advent. And um, this, uh, this message this morning was titled, The King Revealed. And um, I'm excited uh, to, to dig into it. We, we just watched a play that, ta- that went through that process of the revealing of King Jesus. Um, but um, as we watch this story every year, year after year, um, there's this thing called the lullaby effect, right? Where we've heard it over and over and over again. What it means is we stop paying attention uh, to it. We kind of assume that we know all the details, all the messages that are within, and, um, and we hear it and it comforts us, but that's about it. Um, I, I, I liken it to if you, if you move to Colorado Springs from Texas, you might be in awe of Pikes Peak, right? You move there, you're like, this is amazing. It's sitting outside the city, just looming constantly in its majesty. Um, but then you drive to work every day for a couple months and it becomes uh, like a tree used to, you know, and, and, in Texas. Um, it loses its power on you. But I think we know if we, if we take another route, if we go on a hike, we do something to waken ourselves up and to remember the bigness and the majesty, then we will re-encounter it. So that's my goal this morning, that we've seen the cute version, we've been comforted, and now let's go and try to dive in and find something more that God has to say through the story. Can we do it? All right. So as I was preparing, I found myself drawn to the interactions um, and, the, and, the, and the lives of the characters um, that we're so familiar with in this story. These were real people, they're Israelites, who were truly completely shocked to be swept into the greatest moment of history. Not a single person, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, or Joseph, no one had any reason to anticipate their role in the Messiah's reveal. But as we're going to see today, the father had a special kind of anticipation that he wanted to give them, and it was a joyful anticipation. Um, In his kindness, he took measures necessary to put that joy in them so that these people too could share in the joy that he had in the preparation for the reveal of the king. Think about it. Keeping a secret to yourself is no fun at all. We don't keep secrets, right? We share it with at least one person, a safe person. Keep it in confidence. Planning a surprise party without a confidant, not even a thing, you know? The father wanted to have a party planning crew to share in his joy in the reveal of King Jesus. So we're gonna update the title of this message to The King Revealed in the Joyful Anticipation of the Father. Um, What I'm asking God to do for us this morning is to fill us with the same joyful anticipation for the second coming of his son. So um, Advent is all about anticipation, right? We remember his first coming so that we could remember that we are in waiting. We are in, in anticipation for his second coming. That's the whole reason we go through this together is to remember that anticipation. And we do so much um, to tangibly sense joy in this season, right? We, we drink coffee out of red cups, right? We, 
We put trees inside and we put lights outside. Around here, we imagine what snow might be like. So joyful. We eat sugar and, and just lots and lots of sugar. And then as soon as we think we're done, we go to another event where there is yet another buffet of sugar and we keep going and it's so joyful. We wrap our presents and tell our kids not to touch them for weeks. We sing songs that carry warm feelings and we create special moments that we know define childhood's upbringings and values. The joy matters and we, we do a lot of work to sense that joy. But while joy is illustrated through a lot of these things, I think we all know that we can illustrate joy or be surrounded by the illustration of joy without actually receiving it inside of us. So now, imagine that, you, that we were in the position of these Israelites 2,000 years ago. No red cups, no Michael Buble. <laughs> joy for some, you know, sorrow for others. There was no lack of oppression in these days. There was actually good reason to not have joy. There was good reason that your hope might be muted or hidden. Imagine living in oppression and, and believing in the promise of a deliverer, but knowing that there was like absolutely nothing that you could do to change the state of your oppression or the timeline of your deliverance. You're quite literally waiting. He'll come. He's going to come. He's going to come and loose these chains. He'll come. He's going to come. He's going to establish a throne of righteousness and justice for the oppressed. Every person in this nativity story was waiting, and it was probably heavy. The world is heavy, and it can be difficult to generate joy in that kind of waiting. But let us remember how often we're promised that Jesus and the Father share their joy, that we would be full. Yeah. So in their waiting and in ours today, um, he has joyful anticipation and he shares his joy with us. And that's what I hope we get this morning. So nobody wants party poopers at the party planning committee. Let's watch how he shares his joy with these people. We're gonna start with Zechariah and Elizabeth, okay? Zechariah was a priest who had spent a lifetime serving God, walking righteously before him, it says, even while experiencing the pain and the frustration of being without child. Zechariah's name literally means God remembers. He had spent his lifetime fulfilling the ceremonies that help illustrate uh, or to the Israelites, um, how to remember God. All the while feeling like the cry of his own heart had gone unheard and possibly forgotten. See, children in these days for, for Israelites and anyone in that age, um, they were seen as the greatest blessing. They're a heritage of the Lord. That's still true, by the way. It was just more tangibly known in those days to everyone. Barrenness had a history of being considered um, a punishment or a curse. It's hard for us to imagine the impact that that single fact had on Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. For Elizabeth, she had failed to fulfill her primary expectation um, in society. Not only that, but in their old age, both Zechariah and Elizabeth were approaching a time where they would have no one to take care of them. But in all of this, Zechariah and Elizabeth both were called righteous before God. 
They walked blamelessly in all his commandments and statutes. There's a beautiful faithfulness seen in their lives, but it's clear to see that joy may not have been a common experience for either of them. Their life had heaviness. It was marked by this heaviness of an unfulfilled desire. So in Luke 1, we see Zechariah walk in to perform his duties once again, when bam, the man who is called the Lord remembers is met by an angel whose first words are, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And he will be great before the Lord. The joy bomb is officially set off in his life. Now, he has questions, you know, but I promise it got there for him. God did not forget Zechariah. God was answering Zechariah's lifetime prayer. And not only that, but there was immediate justification for a lifetime of waiting. What joy Zechariah had. John actually means God is gracious. John was probably supposed to be named Zechariah. He was the firstborn son. But God had something to say with John. He wanted to prepare the way with the knowledge that God is gracious. So God quite literally makes Zechariah and Elizabeth pregnant with the grace of God and with joy in preparation for the reveal of his son. There is a transformation of anticipation from heaviness to praise. Imagine now for Elizabeth, her name means God is abundance. Her life has been spent feeling like some kind of ironic joke to the world. The one named abundance is found to be barren. She's waited a lifetime for a child and has carried reproach among people with the mark of the curse of barrenness. And all of a sudden, her husband has an encounter with an angel, has an inexplicable condition of muteness, and she finds that her womb has conceived. And they can't even talk about it together. What, what do they do in the evenings? No endless scrolling, no TV, just looking at each other like... <laughs> Crazy. I can't imagine what it looks like for a woman of her age, pregnant, to get in and out of bed, you know? Just... There was a lot going on with not a lot of talking. The anticipation was thick, you know? Oh, there's so much beauty in God's elaborate invitation for this couple into the story. They were oppressed Israelites faithfully waiting for their deliverer day after day. They lived lives of obedience in the fear of God and in the face of constant personal disappointment. But God has brought them into his story, given meaning to their suffering and has deposited joy into their hearts as the anticipation cranks up to 11. So let's look now at Mary and Joseph, the other main characters of this story. Mary and Joseph, they're such a contrast to Zachariah and Elizabeth. Rather than old, they're young. Rather than a priestly family, they're a peasant family, likely just a carpenter and his wife. And rather than a lifetime of unfulfilled 
desire behind them. Mary and Joseph have a lifetime of unlived imagination ahead of them. When this whole thing happens, they are quite literally at the most exciting pivot point of their lives at that point, right? I mean, when you're that age, there is no greater moment, you know? Um, You're pretty sure you're about to have the best moment of your life and it's all downhill from there. That's where they're headed to. Joseph is probably building their home, imagining what it would be like to have a family, to be the man of, of his home. And Mary is likely waiting in anticipation, joyful anticipation for that day that she finds out that the time's come, the home's prepared, and they will join in marriage. And no doubt, she's imagining being the mother of Joseph's children. But you see, Mary and Joseph, were prob- they, were, they were probably filled with a joyful anticipation already, but it was, it was for their own lives, right? It's hard to imagine a time that would be more disruptive and inconvenient to become mysteriously pregnant than that. <laughs> You know, chuckle, chuckle. It's so real. (laughs) So let's go back through this exchange and observe the moment that this news was delivered to Mary real quick. So imagine you're Mary, a woman of no stature or significance to the world. And suddenly an angel appears and blurts out, greetings, oh favored one, the Lord is with you. Can you hear the joy in that statement the Lord opens up with? Mary is so perplexed by the content of the statement that she said to be troubled. I'm favored. The Lord is with me. I'm not even a priest. In her response, or in response to her look of concern, Gabriel then drops this power-packed paragraph that only compounds the insanity that, of what she just heard. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Take a second to break down the news that she just heard. You, young and insignificant Mary, have found favor with the one true God. You're about to conceive a son, and he will be great and called the son of the most high. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary, you are going to birth the Messiah. How do you take that in? Your people have been waiting for generations and generations. The oppression that you live under will be lifted by the one who God will put into your womb. Now, when Zachariah responded to Gabriel with a how can I believe you question, Mary got a little practical. (laughs) How will this work out since I'm a virgin? I think it's very responsible of her to inquire of that. (laughs) We could have really messed this up. The son of the most high Jesus, whose name literally means God saves, will be put into your womb by the power of the most high. And by the way, just to stack up the testimony, your your barren relative Elizabeth is pregnant as well. Be filled with belief, Mary, for nothing will be impossible for God. That was a paraphrase. I'm not just making stuff up. I'm calling it scripture. That's what she heard, you know? The beauty of her response 
in this invitation is absolutely humbling. No hesitance, not another question. A simple and clear, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Now, let's go to Joseph real quick. And actually the band can come on up. I know it seems fast. It's just one of, you know, we've got a lot of things going this Sunday. Joseph, uh, he didn't get the angel first. <laughs> he got an insane story from his bride-to-be. Like the most insane story from his bride-to-be. They had, there was no context for a virgin, this virgin birth. They, they weren't thinking along these lines. It sounded insane. And honestly, he had it hardest out of all four of these characters. I'd rather be mute for nine months than get that news um, uh, uh, waiting for my bride-to-be. His dreams, think about jo Joseph's dreams were shattered. Absolutely shattered. He had probably literally been building a home for this woman to, to find out, essentially, as far as he knows, that she's been unfaithful. But God has mercy on him and doesn't leave him in the dark, right? Thank you, God. It says about him, Joseph, that being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he was resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, what's Joseph's response to this invitation to participate in the story of God? It says, when he woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. Look at the beautiful exchange that Mary and Joseph have with the father. They had joyful anticipation of their own, for their own lives. But at the invitation of the Father, they received his joy, his joyful anticipation for the things that he was doing. They had to take their dreams that they were clearly excited about and put them aside to say, I will receive yours. Let it be done unto me, for I am your servant. This was absolutely disruptive for their lives. Um, but they received his joyful anticipation in exchange for his own. So now the party planning committee has been formed, right? We've got these two couples. Everyone is on board and informed. So now they wait. But this waiting is significantly different than the waiting that they knew before they were let in on this secret. Before the father had invited them in on the plan, their, their waiting was pure and simple, keeping of the faith. But it's clear that all four of these people had done this. They had kept the faith. They were faithful to God, waiting on his deliverance. But now, now they had a role to play. They were indeed pregnant with the joyful anticipation of the Father as he had so generously given to them. So today we stand, all of us, in a very similar situation to Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, and Joseph. We are in period of waiting and the joyful anticipation of the father is just as strong as it's ever been we can hear Jesus call to us I'm coming 
I am coming soon. Keep your lamp full and your wicks trimmed. I'm coming, I am coming soon for my bride full and bright. Let us be ready in our hearts to hear and respond to the Father's invitation to preparation. We all now have a role to play as, as, as those four were invited in to take, a, to take a place in the role. Now we actually do have a role to play, all of us, in ushering in and preparing the way for the Lord. And as we prepare the bride of Christ for his second advent, let us be faithful like Zechariah and Elizabeth to serve him all the days of our lives in feast, famine, barren, and blessing. Let us be available like Mary and Joseph, ready to believe his word and ready to adopt his plans and purposes as our own. And above all, let us receive the joyful anticipation of the Father as we wait for the return of our King in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? Okay, let's stand together. We're gonna worship just a little bit. And let's just, if you don't mind, hold your hands out. Get in a receiving posture of some sort. I'm just gonna pray for us. Lord, we say, come. We receive your joyful anticipation for the return of your son. Lord, we invite a vision from you, Lord. Lord, uh, like Mary and Joseph, we lay down our own anticipation on the altar, Lord, our own joy for the altar. Lord, because we know that when you invite us in and what you give us in exchange is better. So we receive your joy today, Lord. Let us have joy as we go. When we rise, Lord, when we lay in bed, let us receive your joy. Let our joy be full as you've given it to us, Lord. Let's just even, anything that, if there's a disappointment in the past that kind of reigns in your, in your heart or in your mind. Let us bring that before the Lord. We thank you that, that the Lord says, I remember. I am the God who remembers. And hard as it is, if you're young and have the li- your life ahead of you, let's rest peacefully in, for a moment that we can know that when we bring our joyful anticipation for our lives, our imagination to Him, that He gives us more than we could ever give Him. So we thank you, Lord. We receive the joyful anticipation of the return of Jesus and give you our lives.